Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the pulpit of the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in the Bible. This chapter is longer than the entire books of Obadiah, Jude, and 2 John. 176 verses. 22 stanzas. 2,500 words. The length is indeed intimidating. But it is rich and worthy of study and emulation. In today's sermon, the eleventh and final in the series, When a Real God Meets a Real Life, entitled, A Treasure for Ourselves, Pastor Justin completes the thoughts of the psalmist in bringing our sinful condition before God, and reminds us of the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. Please have a seat and open your Bibles with me for the last time to Psalm 119. I know I made you sit down. I'm sorry. I'm going to have you stand back up. Please rise for the reading of God's word as we read verses 161 through 176. Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds a great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Several, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let, me, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the gift of your word is only as good as those who can understand it. And I pray that through the Holy Spirit you would give us great understanding today. That, Lord, you would take these words of yours, make them alive to us, make them fruitful and beneficial to our lives as we go forth in this world to do your work. Lord, we love you. In your name, amen. Now you may sit. What if you found something truly tremendous when you were least expecting it? It's exactly what happened in 2013. A couple was walking around their property in, uh, around the Sierra Nevadas in California. And as they were walking, they stumbled across a rusty lid of a can. It looked pretty old. So they dug the can up, they brought it home, they cracked it open. And out of that can, wouldn't you believe it, came handfuls of solid gold coins. And what did they do? The next day they went right back and they started really digging in earnest. And they found eight cans in total. And they counted it all up. They had an appraisal. 
It ended up being $10 million and solid gold coins. And this was the, uh, the Saddle Ridge Hoard, which to this day is the largest buried treasure ever found in North America. I cannot imagine what it'd be like if you're just walking along on your property and you found $10 million sitting there. What would you do? How would you react? Would you let everybody know or would you keep it secret? Would you be over the moon with happiness or would you suddenly be anxious with all the tax implications and your newfound wealth? Would you share it or would you keep it to yourself? The couple that found this hoard, they say that, that most of the money, they, uh, they either paid off debt, they gave to charity, but they said they kept some of these gold coins to give to family. And when I think of $10 million in gold coins, I think that is a lot. I really wouldn't mind having some of that. But that is nothing compared to the great treasure that each one of us can unearth in the Bible. In verse 162 of this psalm, the author celebrates a great find of his own. He says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds a great spoil. But notice the word here, the word spoil. It doesn't mean a treasure that comes easy. A spoil is a, a treasure of war that a soldier earns through their hard work. And so to get to the treasure of Scripture, he couldn't just stumble over it. He had to take action. He had to read it. He had to understand it. He had to study it. He had to apply it. Only then would the spoils of treasure of, of the Scriptures be made known to him. So as we close out this psalm today, it's been quite the journey. But I'm going I'm to close us here as we look at our treasure that we have, the treasure that he's celebrating. I want us to walk right up to it. And I want us to look at it with open eyes and open hearts and ask ourselves this question. What are we willing to do to obtain the true treasure of Scripture? What are we willing to do? Well, I want us to start off today by looking at the very last verse of this psalm because I think it might throw some of us for a loop. It seems like he's gone to great lengths celebrating Scripture. In the very last verse, he, says, he sort of ends it on a down note. Now, usually in our modern writing, this would be the case. When we write a paper or a book or something like that, we begin and end it with our thesis, our argument, our main point, and then we kind of elaborate in the middle. But when it comes to Hebrew poetry, that's not the case. He's not, the last verse isn't the main point. It's usually somewhere in the middle, or it's sprinkled throughout. So when we look at this last verse, we might, in our modern English years, be thinking, you know, he's been talking about how great the Bible is, but he ends it on a confession of failure. And so we go, well, in the end, he fails, and we all fail, and and that's that. He's gone astray like a lost sheep. But that's not really his main point. He's continuing something we have seen for the entire psalm, which, where he admits he's weak and fully dependent on God for help. That has been a theme we've seen again and again. In fact, this is a sign of the great treasure that he's been talking about because he sees himself as a lost sheep bleating loudly for his shepherd to come and rescue him. Bleeding. Ma, come rescue me. I think that's a pretty humble admission to make. I don't go around saying, man, I feel like a sheep today. 
because I know they are the dumbest animals in all of God's creation. They are truly silly animals that don't take a lot of initiative. In fact, a few years ago, there's an American couple, they went on holiday over to France. And while they were there, they were walking down a gorgeous path, and there was a, a lady who was running the other way. And as she came there, they stopped, they were like, this is weird, because behind this running lady was 50 sheep. And she stopped and she explained, she's like, I was out for a run this morning, and I ran by a flock that obviously got lost. And they saw me running with purpose and like with direction, and they figured, she must be a shepherd. Let's follow her. And so she's like, now I've got this, this flock I don't have a clue what to do with. I've got to go find their home. And so she went running off, and 50 sheep just went and followed their new shepherdess. And that's kind of how we are sometimes. We get lost. We go astray. And sometimes we just want to seize onto the first thing we see, the first thing that offers us hope. And sometimes it's not a good shepherd. It's not somebody who really has the best intentions for us. Or maybe we even just get stubborn. We're like, fine, I'm lost. I'll just go get more lost. I'll get more into my own sin instead of finding my way out. But a lost sheep simply needs a good shepherd, a great shepherd even. One of the most touching verses in the Gospels, and I've mentioned it before, I'll do it again, is when Jesus landed a boat on a shore and a crowd of people just running toward him. And the verse here gives us a wonderful insight into what Jesus was thinking at that moment. Because Matthew writes this, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless might be the best descriptive phrase for us in our life. Psalm 119 right here, this psalmist has been telling you over and over again that he is harassed and helpless. Who's harassing him? Other people the princes of the world even, are against him, are bringing a lot of oppression against him. But he's also helpless because he keeps falling into his own sin. He's harassed and helpless. He needs a shepherd. And our great treasure is a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. A great shepherd who knows the name of his sheep, and the sheep hear his voice and respond. A great shepherd who protects them with his rod and guides them with his staff. The apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, he says, For you were straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You were one of those lost sheep that were running along, thought that they could do it all, but you really needed a good shepherd. And if you want that treasure of a great shepherd, you're going to need to get over your own hubris, our own stubborn arrogance that says, I can fix myself. Yeah, I sinned yesterday, but I'll, I'll, I'll get my willpower going today, and I'm really not going to do it anymore. No. We need to admit we are harassed and helpless in our life of sin. Because an arrogant person will never ask for a shepherd, but a humble person will confess their situation, and they will beg for mercy of the one who will gladly take them back in to his flock. But how would you even know you had a shepherd in the first place if you didn't have the Bible? I want you to think for a moment. Just consider what your life would be like today if you did not have the Bible. 
Would you know that there's a God? Yes. You can know the Bible tells us in Romans 1, the nature confesses God. Psalm 19, nature confesses God. We know that there is a God. And we know that because he created us and he put a moral center in us, that we would know without the Bible that we have failed him. That we would know that we've sinned. We've done great evil to him. But you'd have no idea what he was actually like. You have no idea who this God was that created everything, what he was specifically like, and how you would make things right with him again. You'd, have, you'd be absolutely clueless. Your, ba- your faith would be based on guesses and wishes. I'm not sure how many of you know this, but my wife and I met over a Christian dating site in the early 2000s. I, people back in my old church were always trying to set me up on blind dates, and I said, I don't want blind dates. I don't, get to, I don't have a clue who that person is. And I'd be so stressed out trying to figure out who they are. So I turned to dating websites instead. And I'm like, this is where it's at. Because we could exchange information. I can see their profile. I can see their picture. They can see my goofy faces, whatever. And I can get to know them. We can write back and forth. I can see their likes and their dislikes. And by the time we meet and go out on our first date, I feel like I have a basis of information for a good relationship. And that's what ended up bringing Joy and I together. The dating site revealed each of us to each other. Well, the psalmist finds that Scripture is such a treasure because unlike anything else he's had in his life to this point, Scriptures reveal the truth of God to him. They reveal who God is. Nothing else in the world told him about God's character about God's specific likes and dislikes, about God's actions throughout history, God's personal promises toward him. But now he has that because he has the very word of God that tells him all of this. Verse 169, he again says, Lord, give me more understanding. Verse 171, teach me. I want you to take this scripture that is already amazing, but bring out more truth from it because I want to find out more about you. I believe we take the treasure of the Bible for granted. How many homes in America have a Bible that's gathering a layer of dust because they're never opened? A closed Bible is a buried Bible. It's a Bible in the ground that does nobody any good anywhere. You've got to crack it open. You've got to read it. Between its covers, we are told God's true name. He never revealed his true name until the scriptures. We read about how he's moved through all of history to create you and then to redeem you. And it's pages. You can walk alongside Jesus. You can walk alongside the apostles and the prophets. You can see Jesus in his heavenly throne room. You can't do that anywhere else right now. And in the verses of the Bible, you can hear God speaking to you about how much he loves you and has called you and has a purpose for your life. But there's this thing that gets in our way of accessing that treasure, that spoil. Because we do have to work to read the Bible. I think there's some days that says, man, we got, our life is so busy that our devotions are the first thing to go. That reading the Bible is daunting. Man, we've got to put some work into it. And we're reading this text that doesn't sound like our modern, you know, it's, if I got a modern novel and the Bible in this hand, it's easier to read a modern novel because it's more natural English. Reading the Bible and understanding it, it's work. 
And sometimes we get distracted in our life by idols that seem more interesting than spending time with God. Or maybe it's even the obstacle of when life gets tough and you're in pain and all you want to do is focus on your pain and you push God to the side. A treasure does no good if it's buried. But when we open the Bible, we discover a treasure where God reveals himself to us on every page. We get to know who he is so that we can have a relationship with him. You can't have a relationship with somebody you have no idea about. It might be sobering. It might be challenging to learn about God, but it is worth the effort. Well, if the psalmist ends this great song on an admission of his own failures, I think we can safely say he's not mentioning that in despair. He's not saying, well, I messed up. I'm out of here. God doesn't love me anymore. But rather, if you go on in that verse, he actually is admitting God still has his back, still is teaching him, still is giving him his commandments. And this is because his shepherd, his shepherd's revealing words, have given him a key part of the treasure that carries him through even his worst failure. And you see that right here in verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have those who love your law. Do you hear that treasure? Great peace. And I worry too many people might hear that and blow it off, thinking, so what? I'd rather have some of those gold coins you mentioned earlier on. Is there going to be some sharing with the rest of the class? Uh, while we're wishing for things, I'd love to lose 25 pounds overnight. That I would love to have. Great peace, okay, whatever. But really think about that. Because how unpeaceful is your life right now? We do not live in a peaceful world. We do not have peaceful lives. Our lives are full of tension. We're always struggling with things. We're always in tension. We have stresses and worries. We have sins and failures that give us shame and guilt. We worry about the world ending and the next election cycle. Oh my goodness, we're in it again, right? We have issues with the climate, cultural wars, real wars, gasoline prices. The fact that the dollar menu has disappeared from every fast food restaurant that I've ever gone to. That brings us tension, right? There, so we're living in a tense life and over above all of those worries and all of those cares is a true source of tension, which is that we have turned away from God in our sin. We bit into that same piece of forbidden fruit as Adam and Eve, and we declared ourselves an individual God of our own universe, and we were going to live our own way and do our own thing, and we were going to defy God at every turn, and we were going to bring him no end of shame. And so we started fighting in a war that we were destined to lose so badly that we would be cast out into the hellish outer darkness from which there is no escape. That is the tension that lives over our lives, everybody's life, when you're born into sin. And this is why, when we get around to Christmas time, and you hear another familiar phrase, don't blow that off. When the angel comes down at Jesus' birth, and he declares, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. is not a small admission of, you know, like, oh, hey, have some peace. No. You did not have peace before, and now great peace is coming to some people. To whom? 
those on whom his favor rests, those who are saved, those who are in Christ. Because without Christ, there is no peace. You'll be in tension forever. You'll be stress forever. You'll be in agony forever. But with Christ, in the favor of Jesus, those who are saved by him, live with him, are now reconciled to God. We are no longer his enemies. There's no longer war between us. There is peace between us. And as the psalmist says, there's a great peace. It brings him to his knees every day, saying, how amazing is this peace? How great is this? I didn't have this before. My sins are now forgiven. In the sight of God, I am now made right. This is our great peace. It is a peace that is so amazing. When you see it, when you feel it, when you revel in it, it revolutionizes your life. It changes everything. Now, is that to say you're not going to have tension in this world? No. Christ tells you that in this world, there's going to be hard things. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be suffering. But you're going to have a great peace in your heart. Because the big problem, the big issue between you and God has been resolved. And you can get through the rest of this stuff. It's small fry compared to what you really had to worry about. And this peace that you have today promises, promises a permanent peace in your future. There will be one day that we have no more tears, no more suffering, no more stress, and no more worrying about the dollar store menu, dollar menu at fast food. I got that wrong. You got it. But what a treasure this all is. A treasure of a shepherd to lead us. A treasure of a scripture to reveal himself to us. And a treasure of a great peace to give us hope for our present and hope for our future. That is the treasure, our spoils, that we can get to when we really grow and mature in the word of God. This is your spoil. Are you going to fight for it today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. As unworthy as we are of stumbling over such a treasure, Lord, you bring it to us. You bring us the truth in your word. You make it plain. You don't obscure it. You don't hide it in code and riddles. Lord, you make it plain to us that if we fall down, and we just ask for your grace that you give it to us. You give us your word. You give us your forgiveness. You give us your love. And you will never take it from us. What a treasure, Lord. I pray that we would come back to Psalm 119 again and again and read, hear the tone and the enthusiasm, the emotions of this author as he spends 176 verses, Lord. Not even enough to celebrate your word and what it means to him. May it mean just as much to us today, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can listen to other sermons on our website at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com or send a text to our prayer hotline at 833-240-1824 the number to text prayer requests to again is 8332401824. Please include the word pray in your request. You may write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, 
Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found at youtube.com forward slash at Noxie PC. Thank you again for joining us.